Welcome to China in Context, the weekly podcast from the SOAS China Institute in London. I'm Zuri Linetsky, Research Fellow at the Eurasia Group Foundation in Washington, D.C. The partisan divide in politics of the United States is very wide at the moment. This leads to struggles here in Washington when it comes to reaching agreements on many economic and social issues. The debate about China is often particularly fractious and bitter. President Biden, a Democrat, has spoken of de-risking from China, but has also said that he expects a thaw in U.S.-China relations. But what do people on the other side of the political spectrum, congressmen and senators from the Republican Party, think of this approach? I'm pleased to welcome a guest who's lived and worked in China for a large part of his career and who takes a keen professional interest in U.S. politics, James McGregor, is chairman of APCO Worldwide's Greater China Region. James, thanks so much for accepting our request to take on this important topic. Happy to be here, happy to be here. Before we start, can I ask you if you are aligned with either major political party or if you're speaking as an analyst and observer? I'm, I'm not aligned with any party. I'm a, you know, I'm a former reporter, both in Congress and in China. I don't have an affiliation, but I have a lot of opinions. Me too. Bert works perfectly. <laughs> American politicians seem to be preoccupied with China, from TikTok to the national communication infrastructure. Can you start by explaining what major divisions on China exist between the Republicans and the Democrats? That's where we got to be a little worried because there's very few. In this political atmosphere, when you got the Democrats and Republicans in alignment on something, you got to worry because it'll go to extremes. And that's that's kind of what's happening. The difference between the Democrats and Republicans on China is basically a, a political tactic on who's weak on China. Biden comes in with the Trump tariffs and um, other sanctions, and he's unraveled none of them. Even though some of the tariffs make no sense, he's afraid of taking them off and then getting pilloried by the Republicans for being weak on China. I guess we have to thank uh, the Chinese for giving Washington one bipartisan issue, even though it's, a not, it's, not, uh, it's not a happy circumstance on the way it's working out. A lot of the time, China is presented as a threat or a challenge to the national security of the United States. Is this a view that you share? And how do you think it's seen by Republicans? I lived in China 30 years. I arrived there in 1990 and I left in 2020. And I watched the whole arc of U.S.-China relations during that period. And uh, China is obviously a great challenge uh, for America because China actually has a plan. You know, they're investing. They, they're looking at all the technologies of the future. Um, they want to, you know, they want to um, get ahead of other countries, especially the United States, on these technologies, and so we need to compete. Is it a threat? Well, um, I guess the the world will see, but um, it's being turned into a threat for sure. I mean, it's looked at very much more and more in Washington as a threat. And let me let's, um, you know, if we're going to talk about the Republicans in in Washington on China, we got to talk about the Select Committee on China, which is a Select Committee on the challenge of the CCP or something like that. It's, you know, it goes out, it says CCP instead of China. It's a very interesting committee and it's got some very smart people on it. They kept the really wacko 
Republicans and Democrats off the committee. It's the more thoughtful people, but it's still a, a pretty hardline group on, on China. The guy running it is very interesting. I think he's got future presidential aspirations. Mike Gallagher, a 39-year-old congressman from Green Bay, Wisconsin. He's a former Marine intelligence officer. He's got masters and PhDs in Cold War thinking and even his undergrad was about asymmetrical issues uh, uh, for defense in the Middle East. So he's very military-oriented. He's the chairman, and um, the the ranking member is um, Representative Krishnamurthy from Illinois, who is uh, it, they're very they're very bipartisan. They always appear together. I recently interviewed both of them on stage, and they were you could tell that they're joking with each other and getting along. So what is the committee, um, what, what's this committee up to? Let me, um, let me read an opening statement from each of these guys. Uh, the opening statement for the committee um, is, uh, this is from um, uh, Mike Gallagher. We may call this a strategic competition, but this is not a polite tennis match. This is an existential struggle over what life will look like in the 21st century, and the most fundamental freedoms are at stake. This existential struggle uh, really caught people's eye, and he's been questioned about it. And I asked him about it on stage, and he said, "Look, I read, um, I read what um, well, basically said, I read what Matt Pottinger sends me. Matt Pottinger, who was a national security advisor, uh, deputy national security advisor for for Trump, and a guy I know well from his reporting days in China. Um, you know, he 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 looks at the party documents and send and they translate them and they send them along, and he's got a big influence on 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 Gallagher." Um, and he said that the committee is aimed at deterrence. The um, the uh, opening statement from Christian Morthy was more um, more that we have to up our game, that we've got to compete, that we have to um, invest in ourselves and fix our own weaknesses. Um, and he was also very strong on let's make sure this doesn't turn into racism against Chinese um, Americans and Chinese immigrants and just Chinese in general. And so, um, and and not that Gallagher doesn't believe that stuff. Also, he says the same things, but Krishnamurthy opened with that. They've had hearings on on the Uyghur um, the Uyghur situation. Um, they've had hearings on human rights, um, and um, they did a war game on Taiwan. Um, and so they're they're the loudest voice in the room in Washington right now on China, um, and the administration has to uh, be careful, not look weak in the face of this. Just as a point of clarification, on the select committee for the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, what is the existential threat that China poses? Is it viewed as kind of Soviet Union-esque? Is, are we looking at this global competition where China will eventually control the world? Uh, is it something less um, sensational? Well, actually, um, no. Uh, they cite um, you know, Xi Jinping saying that this is a once-in-a-century opportunity. The East is rising. The West is falling. Um, they, they, you know, I'm not saying all of them, but I think Gallagher, at least, and some of the others believe that, um, you know, China's out to uh, basically have its its system lead the world. And hooking up with Putin before the um, Olympics and three weeks before the invasion of Ukraine in a in a no limits partnership was very damaging for the way people look at China. I don't think China belongs in that position at all. But yeah, there's 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 a lot of hype going on. You know, the Communist Party has always had goals of 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 
making the world communist and making the world acceptable for them. And now they have very strong words in their party documents. This is their liturgy. But now we are pulling that liturgy out and we're, and we're, and we're, we're saying this is what is going to happen. This is what they really want to do. We, we're probably overdoing it. I'm not saying that um, I'm saying that China is a definite, definite challenge, definite challenge. And it's it, it's really helping us because we're starting to compete. You know, we we haven't been investing in ourselves. We, you know, we let all the jobs go and we didn't take care of the workers. Um, we, we we quit investing in our own technology and our own manufacturing. Meanwhile, China's moved along very quickly um, in, in all fields through industrial policies that have been somewhat damaging to us. So what are we doing now? We're coming up with our own industrial policies. That's interesting, really, that uh, you're getting more Republican support for, for industrial policies. Can you say something about the views of, on China being expressed by the two leading Republicans uh, in the upcoming election or who are seen as the leading Republicans, Donald Trump and uh, Ron DeSantis? Oh, my, my, my. Well, that's a hard one because, you know, Trump, Trump will, Trump will say anything on any given day. And I imagine he'll be saying that if I get elected, she is my good friend. And, um, you know, she would never invade Taiwan if I'm sitting in the White House. All the nonsense he comes up with. Um, DeSantis is like a um, he hasn't shown any any real interest or um, uh, or intelligence thought on foreign affairs at all. He made one comment on Ukraine that he had to walk back, that it was a border dispute. Um, and I haven't seen him say much about China at all. I would imagine he'll he'll you know he's an attacker. He likes to attack everything. Uh, he'll probably start calling China woke pretty soon, um, and then we'll have to see what we do with it. Well, so perhaps the Republican Party's leadership message is as yet to cohere around any um, motivating kind of captions, if you will. Um, of course, though, the Republican Party is not a monolith. Are there people within the party? who could be described as friendlier or friends of China? I don't know if anybody can be described as a friend of China, because in, in the Chinese parlance, that means you're going to be uh, um, kind of, you're going to back off and be pretty friendly and loyal to what they say, then you can be a friend of China. But there are people that understand China, are sympathetic to China, don't want this to go off the rails. Um, but it's very hard today in Washington to um, say anything positive about China. I would imagine it's pretty hard in uh, Zhongnanhai in Beijing to say anything positive about America, too. But um, there's a, there are a lot of people worried about this going off the rails. I mean, there are people in Washington who believe if we push and push on China, the Communist Party will fall. That is insanity. I lived there 30 years. The Communist Party is not going to go away. We just have to deal with them as they are. Well, understanding these divisions and also taking into account that there is an election coming up during which the issue of China is likely to be mentioned frequently from the stump. What do you think leaders in Beijing will make of the U.S. situation during the election season? They've usually um, understood us that, um, you know, the, the rhetoric during elections is not necessarily something you should lose a lot of sleep over. But that may be the past tensions are so high now. Uh, and China is reacting very strongly to every word that comes out of Washington now, that it could be damaging. And that's why right now, the there's an effort to get a stable um, dialogue going 
um, because the window of opportunity before the election is now. Once fall comes in, it's going to be all about the presidential election, and things could really uh, get um, out of hand in the, in the rhetoric. There is often a claim in Beijing that America is trying to suppress China's economic growth. What's your perspective, particularly counting for your years on the ground? When foreign companies came into China, um, you know, they had um, rest very restricted rights from the beginning. You had to have a joint venture, and then they got out of that, and they were able to um, have wholly owned enterprise, and then, we, and then WTO happened. And under WTO, the foreign companies, even not very capable um, multinationals, were doing well in China because China couldn't do those things. And then China pushed back and then started all its Made in China 2025, indigenous innovations, strategic emerging industries, very strong industrial policies, forced technology transfers, hacking of technology. Um, and uh, that step by step really uh, turned the business community sour on China. I mean, for quite a while, companies would get hacked and then uh, or, or have their technology stolen or forced transfer, whatever. They go to Washington and they'd say, this is what happened to me. I'm very unhappy about it. And they see Treasury, USTR, Commerce, and the government would say, what should we do? And those companies go, oh, oh, don't do anything. I don't want to mess up my China market share. So, you know. Um, the business community has something to answer for by, you know, by letting this go on. And China knew how to play them, give them enough market share to keep them quiet. Uh, China looks at this as, um, you know, they don't admit all the, all the, that all these things happened, even though the evidence is pretty clear. But their attitude is that um, it's a national security threat to be behind in technology. So all bets are off. They will do anything they can to, to, be, um, to catch up and to lead in technology because it's a national security threat. Okay. I'm sure uh, preventing the movement of uh, chips to, to China isn't helping. See, now China looks at this as we're trying to keep them down. We look at it as we're trying to protect ourselves from tootling along the way we were and letting our ourselves uh, hand, you know, hand over our technology. There right. is an arrogance in the U.S. that China can't innovate, which is complete nonsense. In fact, a lot of foreign companies in China want to be there because of Chinese innovation. China mm -hmm. moves at China speed. And so you not only, if you leave China, you don't only really miss out on the market, you miss out on Chinese innovation. Thank you, James, for discussing the U.S. Republican Party's agenda on China. I've learned a lot. That was James McGregor, chairman of APCO Worldwide's Greater China Region. This podcast is a co-production of the Eurasia Group Foundation and the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London, and you can find out more about the Institute's courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.